listening to the Liddell Adventist Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Rosemary Andrikanis explores what we can learn from Jesus to support others through suffering. Suffering is the reality of the human experience for every single person on this planet. Have you suffered already this morning? Perhaps some of you may have suffered this morning. You may have slept through your alarm and woken up just that little bit late and maybe came that little bit late to church. Or maybe you were preparing your breakfast and put it on the wrong setting in the toaster and your toast came out a little bit burnt. Or maybe you stayed up all night caring for your sick spouse or your sick children. Of course, these are all small things we suffer and we don't necessarily think of these things as suffering. When you look at the dictionary definition of suffering, the dictionary describes suffering as the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. I have no doubt that there are people in this place that are currently going through some sort of pain, distress, or hardship as we speak. Everyone goes through hard times. What can we learn from the example of Jesus and how he ministered to people as they suffered? We live in what scientists call a postmodern world. Some people actually believe that we have gone beyond postmodernism and actually live in a post-postmodern world. Today, people think, they perceive, sorry, it's a bit small up there. They think, perceive, believe, and process truth differently to any, of, to any other previous generation. For example, this is a picture of my mother and my sister. My mother grew up in the Philippines and my mother was introduced to Jesus by her mother. She first attended church when she was 14 years old and she was baptised during her senior year of high school. Before she was baptised, she did Bible studies with the pastor of her church His name was Pastor Taupu, and my mother fondly recalls memories of him being very gentle, very kind, very approachable man, and they would come together for their regular Bible studies, and he would come with his Bible under his his arm, they would sit together, he would come with questions prepared, she wouldn't really know the answers to the questions, so then he'd present them to her from the Bible that he had. And for my mother... She listened to what the pastor said and what he taught from the word because the Bible had some kind of assumed authority. In my mother's generation and for the many generations before it, the Bible had some sort of assumed authority. However, in the world we live in today, the Bible doesn't necessarily have the same assumed authority for your average person walking down the street. Since my mother's childhood years, there has been a seismic shift in the way that information is processed in our world. We have undergone a change. We have undergone a change in the way we process reality from an authority-based system to an information-based system. Up until World War II, and for about 10 years after World War II, human beings were generally responsive to an authoritative figure, like a pastor, or an evangelist quoting authoritative words from an authoritative source 
and then yielding to that authority. Except something has changed. A change has taken place. People now have universal access to information at their fingertips. They have their iPhones with them. They no longer they no longer need someone with authority to tell them what's right and what's wrong because they can just Google it. They have they no longer need this authority figure. They have instant access to information. However, some can claim some have claims that although they have instant access to information, this generation has very little access to wisdom. Experts agree that current developments in technology and society have presented challenges never anticipated. We live in a complicated, post-Christian, secular world, and people often claim that this generation, they're just disinterested in God. They're disinterested in what the Bible says. So is this generation unreachable? Perhaps it's time we start speaking the language of our generation. We're not changing our message, but perhaps it's time that we adapt our methods. We're not compromising our principles, but instead we're revolutionizing the way we communicate those principles. Malcolm Gladwell, he's a Canadian journalist, New York Times best-selling author and public speaker, and in a interview he remarks on change. And he says this. He says, "I feel like I change my mind all the time." And I sort of feel like that's your responsibility as a person, as a human being, to constantly be updating your positions on as many things as possible. And if you don't contradict yourself on a regular basis, you're not thinking. We need to move with the culture in order to be relevant to the culture. Local churches should be incubators of creativity. constantly positioning themselves to be relevant to the changing needs of their local communities. I was on Twitter the other day and I follow quite a few things on Twitter, mostly pastors and different churchy things and I saw this and I liked this I like this tweet and it says change is to be expected in living bodies. Only the dead don't change. Change is to be expected in living bodies. only the dead don't change in 2018 in a post-christian age we need to adapt our methods of evangelism in order to keep the mission alive so what does that look like i wish i knew the answers but let's have a look at the life of jesus you see jesus was a revolutionist who spoke life and hope into a world of suffering what can we learn from his life and the ways that he remained relevant to the world around him. Jesus had empathy for those he ministered to. It was often through the painful experiences of people's lives that he reached out, offered a word of comfort, offered a listening ear, offered healing. In a world of pain, Jesus empathized. Why is empathy so important? In his best-selling book The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Convey explains that empathy is the key to effectiveness. He exhorts he exhorts us to seek first to understand and then to be understood. 
It's so easy to jump right to the point that we're trying to get across. You want to say something, you're thinking it, so you want to tell them straight away. But if we first don't take time to understand where others are coming from, then there can easily be unintended miscommunication. In the classic book, Ministry of Healing, Mrs. White says that Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Saviour mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. Let's break this down a little. Jesus mingled with the people as one who desired their good. He opened networks with people. Jesus also sympathized with people. He formed attachments. Jesus ministered to their needs. This also deepened the attachments that he had made with people. And then when you combine combine the first, the second, and the third elements, then he bade them follow me to become disciples. You see, there's a process that Jesus went through to make disciples. And it started with empathy. Jesus had empathy. And empathy in 2018 has replaced authority as our new evangelistic currency. Like you to, I'd invite you to turn your Bibles to John 4. We'll be reading a couple of verses from John 4 this morning. And John chapter 4 recalls the story of a Samaritan woman meeting her Messiah. And we read about this encounter of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And I'll give you a little bit of context of this story. So it's the hottest part of the day. Generally, most people would rest indoors and avoid the heat. But this woman, this Samaritan woman, walks under the searing sun for who knows how long to go and get some water from Jacob's well. She decides to come at this part of the day because she didn't want to run into anyone. It was the best chance she had of being left alone. And here this woman, as she gets closer and closer to this well, she sees someone by the well. It's a guy. It's Jesus. And Jesus quickly discerns that she is an outcast. She is a Samaritan in Roman-occupied land. Samaritans were looked down upon. Even some of the other occupied people might remark, we may be in Roman-occupied land, but at least we're not Samaritans. Everyone was above this woman. She was too low in status to have anyone to look down on. The world had made this very clear to her. Day in and day out, she battled feelings of unworthiness, pain, rejection, shame. In John 4, starting in verse four, uh, starting in verse 6, we read, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. After a little while, Jesus starts dialogue with this woman. A man, a Jew, a rabbi, he speaks to her 
in broad daylight. In this culture, self-respecting rabbis wouldn't even speak to their own wives in public. But he's speaking to a woman, to a stranger, to this Samaritan woman. How does she respond? In verse 9, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus requests a drink from this woman's cup. It was a sign of acceptance and identification. To eat or drink with someone was a gesture of oneness. And as we read further, as we go on in the story, we see the women sidestepping Jesus' questions and repeatedly trying to redirect their conversation. But Jesus kept on pressing in on the crippling issue of her life. And gently, he uncovers the truth about her multiple affairs and divorces and the resulting rejection from her wider community. As all these painful facts came to light, he didn't give the slightest indication whatsoever of judging her. Instead, he graciously reveals God's love and forgiveness, holding out to her the thirst-quenching, pain-soothing, life-giving hope of the gospel. Through Jesus' life, we are shown the heart of the Father, a compassionate God that doesn't ignore suffering, but instead reaches out to us like he did to the Samaritan woman. He reaches out to us in the midst of our pain and our suffering. The God of the universe is a God of infinite empathy. In John 1 verse 14, we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The God of the universe came down and dwelt among us, human beings. He came down in his incarnation, which literally means into flesh. So he is able to relate to us, to our experiences and what we're going through. Jesus lived the essence of incarnational ministry. God came close. He showed empathy. The Greeks thought that empathy between humans and the gods was pretty much impossible because although the gods could come to the aid of human beings, the gods could not empathize with them. There was no possibility for them to understand each other because the experience of being a god was completely detached and mutually exclusive from that experience of being human. And they just couldn't possibly understand each other. But the New Testament regards God as entirely capable of understanding. It claims that God entered the human experience through his incarnation. God came down showing his humility He wasn't some high and lofty God completely detached from what we're going through. God is not above coming down to where we are. God is not above coming down to where we are. He humbled himself. God came as us, solidarity. God relocated to where we are. And we have a responsibility to go where the people are. Not everyone in the world is going to be responsive to an evangelist or a pastor 
with an authoritative book in their hand, claiming authoritative words, although some people might, and I'm not discounting that. But I'm saying this is not the only way to do things. We need to broaden our perspective. In this postmodern age, people won't hear us unless they trust us. We need to empathize with people. We need to show them that we care. What would have happened if Jesus never came down to show us what the Father was like? Could he be a God that you can trust? The God of the universe came down to show us what the heart of the Father looks like in a way that we could comprehend it. He didn't merely tell us that he loved us. He showed us what that looks like in action. Many millions and even billions of people are suffering right now. Are you one of those people that are currently going through something? Jesus understands your pain. He has been where you are, but only far worse. In Gethsemane, Jesus didn't merely say, my arms hurt, my feet hurt, my back hurts, but he said, my soul, my soul is dying. Jesus Christ is the only human being who has suffered as both man and God. Humanity has suffered. God has suffered. In David Asherick's book, God of Pain, David writes, but the incarnation, but until the incarnation, the suffering of humanity and the suffering of God were mutually exclusive. God as God did not know what it was like to suffer as a human, and no human knows what it's like to suffer as God suffers. But Jesus knows both. Today we can be thankful that he is not a distant God, but he is a God of infinite empathy. He is Emmanuel, he is God with us. In the midst of our pain, God is not distant, but he is near. Suffering is the reality of every single person on this planet. We simply can't escape it. You can't even run away from it. And people are asking in the midst of their suffering, is there someone who understands? Is there someone who cares? Postmoderns aren't, they're not close to the spiritual realm. In fact, this generation, more than any other generation previously, are actively searching for, the, for answers to the existential questions of life. What does it all mean? What is the purpose of everything? What, is, what does this mean? What does that mean? They're actively searching for answers. And when they get to know God as he truly is, they will find that he is the only being in the entire universe that is able to understand what they're going through. Who in your spheres of influence or who in your sphere of influence is suffering? Physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain. Who needs a shoulder to cry on? Perhaps someone needs a friend to rely on. Empathy is the new evangelistic currency. Are you willing to do what Jesus did, like he did with that Samaritan woman, and meet people where they are? Perhaps even going out of your way to meet someone where they are. 
Are you willing to follow in his footsteps and reach down in order for others to reach up? God is not aloof from the trials of this messy, painful, and yet wonderful thing that we call life. He is Emmanuel, God with us, with us in joy, with us in pain. Let's have empathy and reach out to those who are suffering around us. And through our hands, they may come to know his hand.